Welcome to episode 12 of Dirt Stories. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Becca Grieb, and today I'm chatting with Stephanie and Jack from the Canadian Mental Health Association about the mental health crisis in construction. Mental health has been a growing topic in the industry and is often referred to as the silent epidemic that are, that's facing construction workers. There's a huge stigma around mental health, and we believe it's an important topic to talk about. So let's dive in. I'm so glad that you're both here to chat about this because I think this this couldn't be a better time to talk about mental health. I was just saying earlier, I don't think we as, as a community um, on a global scale have ever been prepared um, or even saw a global pandemic coming. So this is such a timely, important episode for us and we're super excited to dive into the Canadian Mental Health Association's dirt story and to hear a little bit about your dirt stories as well. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper. So why don't we start from the very beginning? Um, I'll have you both introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your involvement with the Canadian Mental Health Association. Or who'd you like to hear from first? Jack, you can go first. Perfect. Sure thing. So uh, my name's Jack Beach. I'm the Manager of Community Engagement and Education with the CMHA, our Halliburton Court of Pine Ridge branch. Uh, so I've been with our organization about 15 years now um, and excited to be in a role where I actually do training, public speaking, going into workplaces and helping to bring uh, awareness to mental health and mental wellness in a workplace setting. Nice. So I'll go next. My name's Stephanie Jones. So I've been working in healthcare for about uh, over five years. Um, I've been with CMHA Ontario for about two and uh, about perhaps eight months with Mental Health Works. So right now I am project manager on the program, uh, as well as stakeholder engagement um, and a bit of communications. So uh, I've been doing quite a few uh, webinars and uh, podcasts. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time for us all. Mm -hmm. Great. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into learning how you both got started with the CMHA. Um, okay, I can start again too. It's, uh, it's actually funny. So I started with CMHA uh, and actually the third year of my undergrad, I, was, I came on board as a placement student and about two weeks into my placement, they asked if I would take a relief role. Uh, and now 15 years later, I'm overseeing our education programming. So it's been... Wow, that's wild. It, it's strange. And I've, I've been able to work in a variety of different uh, departments. I've done everything from housing to uh, forensic case management, working in our super jail with inmates to um, even working with our local hockey team here in Peterborough, the Peterborough Pizza, as their mental health coach. So I've been really fortunate to have uh, a lot of good mentors and people that guide me along the way. Um, but it's been a, a really fun journey. Wow, so you just dove in right away. <laughs> they, uh, they Basically, I was in school and they said, do you want a job? And I was like, desperately, I would like a job. Yeah. <laughs> when I graduated, they said, do you want to keep your job? And I said, yes, please. And they haven't fired me yet, so here I am. Amazing. That's awesome. And Stephanie, what about you? So I, I don't want to give you my life story, but Jack mentioned school, so I'll, I'll, I'll do a short version. I actually did my uh, Bachelor of Science in Psychology and... Uh, 
I took a break actually after that and I kind of explored. Um, I, worked in, I worked in digital advertising, uh, interned every, everywhere from TIFF to Habitat for Humanity. Um, and then I, I kind of realized I needed to be in the healthcare field. So uh, before CAMH, I was actually at Sinai. And uh, while I was there, I, I got to work with the um, chief of psychiatry. And uh, I just, it really cemented for me that mental health is my passion and where I belong, so. Very cool, nice. So tell me a little bit about the Canadian Mental Health Association. What is the association? What do you do? And what kind of services do you offer? So CMHA Ontario is actually the provincial body. So we actually do have um, provincial uh, organization, organizations across Canada. So there's CMHA um, um, BC, there's CMHA Alberta, etc. So uh, what we do is we oversee the frontline services that um, are, are given through the branches. So for example, here in Ontario, we have about 30 branches um, and we employ about 3,900. These are all mental health professionals, um, everything from psychologists to caseworker, to people working on housing, and we actually serve about 500,000 people a year. Wow. So yeah, yeah, quite a, quite a big number. So it's really focused on community support. Um, at CMH Ontario, we also work with uh, the government, policy, as well as supporting the branches. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, there is a national body, there is CMHA National, and of course they oversee the whole country. Right. It's kind of like a, it's like an umbrella, like like Stephanie's described. You've got the national that oversees the country. You've got the provincial entities, which help out so much, like Stephanie's saying, with that sort of policy directive and giving it that high level uh, oversight. And then in each of your communities across the province, you've got your local branches that are delivering um, mental health services, just everything from the housing to vocational support to justice support to group counseling. And you're going to see varied services across the province. But what is always consistent is it's a not-for-profit. So it doesn't cost any money. And that's probably the biggest thing I see when I'm talking with people is I want to get help, but I, I can't afford it or it's going to be really expensive. Accessing help through your CMHA, there's no cost. I want to dive in a little bit into mental health. It's a huge topic. I think, I think it's actually had a lot of uh, growing popularity on social media over the years, thanks to, you know, Bell Let's Talk and things like that. But I want to know a little bit more about what mental health actually is um, and why, why we should be caring about it, both inside of the construction industry and, and in general in our lives. Okay, so I'll talk about that uh, for a bit and Jack will kind of focus in on, on the industry. So it is becoming quite the topic. Um, everyone's talking about it, all, every industry, every field. Um, everyone's really focused on mental health. So it's really about, you know, kind of the general de definition. It's about our feelings, thinking and action. Uh, you know, you have an overall sense of well-being. We do like to look at it um, as, as a balanced state. So when you're feeling good, confident, secure, your, your mental health is probably likely to be, um, you know, at a great state. And when you have issues um, or, you know, challenges in life that throw you off balance, how easily do you bounce back? So, um, you know, say you have a bad day at work or you even lose your job or, you know, you're having difficulties at home. How do you bounce back and how long does it take? Do you have the skills and, and coping mechanisms? Um, 
And mental illness really comes into play if you're struggling and you don't bounce back. So how long are you kind of in that zone of being distressed? Um, so really the main difference there is coping skills, um, as well as, you know, other things as med medication and whatnot, and you being able to kind of return to that balanced state. Right. Okay. I wonder too if, uh, and I love that, um, we teach a lot of different courses too, Rebecca, and, and one of the courses we teach uh, is mental health first aid. And, and I'll teach a course in, in mental health first aid, and one of the first activities we'll do, we'll get a big piece of chart paper, we'll throw it up on the wall, and I'll write down that question you just asked us, what is mental health? And I'll tell you this, in 99.9% .9 of scenarios, that audience looks back at us and they say, okay, mental health is not having a mental illness. Well, mental health is so much more than just the absence of an illness. It's, it's how we experience life events, how we cope with stressors, realize our own abilities, work, study, play productively. Again, that key idea, just like Stephanie's saying, everybody has mental health. Everyone has mental health, just like everyone has physical health. I can be mentally healthy, just like I can be physically healthy. I can become mentally ill, much the same as we can become physically ill. And it's just like Stephanie's describing, talking about that spectrum, that fluid state. Our mental health is a fluid state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think mental health is, it's such an interesting topic now, especially that people's environments and home life and, and work life has changed so much. And I know when we talk about mental health and construction, it's, it's, it almost has a stigma around it and people don't really talk about it uh, as often, I would say, in this industry as they maybe do than others. So interesting too, Rebecca, and you talk about, you mentioned Bell Let's Talk off the top, which again has been a supporter of the CMHA for going on like 11 years. It's unbelievable to think it's only lasted that long. It seems like Bell Let's Talk has been around forever. But you talk about what Bell Let's Talk main sort of mandate is, it's reducing stigma, the stigma surrounding mental illness, because stigma keeps people from reaching out and, and getting help. And we talk about construction, again, as predominantly a male-dominated field, and the real stigma that surrounds men in talking about their mental health and talking about mental wellness. This sort of uh, ingrained idea that, well, if I tell somebody that I'm struggling, experiencing depression or anxiety, they're going to label me as weak or not as strong. I'm not mm -hmm. as strong. I can't handle the, the stressors that my coworker can, so I have to hide it. I can't talk about it. And that stigma is in reality keeping people from being well and thriving. Right. Yeah, mental health and construction. We talk about that a lot at Dozer because it really is often referred to as the silent epidemic in construction. Before we go any further, you've touched a little bit on mental health and mental illness. Can you help me understand? the difference you talked about coping mechanisms and we all have a certain level of mental health what what is the difference between mental health and mental illness and in 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 our everyday lives like how would people refer refer to that i love to talk about um and i get and stephanie can jump in too after she has sort of points she wants to elaborate on whenever i talk about understanding that difference between what i would sort of qualify uh, as a mental health problem versus something that we'd qualify as a mental illness. So think of a mental health problem as a common struggle or difficulty we're all gonna experience. Um, sadness, anger, stress, that common sort of presentation that we're all gonna experience. The key difference between something like sadness and depression, between things like stress and generalized anxiety, is sort of two prominent features, prolongment and impairment. Again, 
the symptoms last too long and they keep a person from being able to do what they need to do in their day-to-day -day life. When symptoms are persistent and prolonging, when they're disruptive, when they're keeping me from being able to do what I need to do. That simple idea, again, Rebecca, everyone's gonna feel sad. That's not a bad thing, that's an important human process. But again, if my sadness, it keeps me from sleeping at night, it keeps me from socializing with my friends, from caring for my family, from being able to do my job at work. That's when we're starting to cross that line on that spectrum again that was identified by Stephanie earlier between that mental health sort of problem and mental illness. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just want to add the timeline uh, is very important to note, especially right now. We're all going to have bad days, maybe even three or four in a row. Um, if you're having weeks of issues, that's a different situation. I just really want to acknowledge, I think everyone needs to be you know, self-compassionate and really acknowledge the situation because like you said, Rebecca, we've never been through this and uh, stressors are kind of coming at you from all angles. Right. It's so, it's so true too, and you know, I, can I, total, I just want to totally derail on you, Rebecca, but Stephanie <laughs> makes such a good point. And you know, I'll do sessions too, and the people will ask that question, Rebecca, that you've actually asked, and I'll see people in an audience. Well, I won't see them anymore because I've got a computer screen, but when I used to do talks in front of a group, you would see them in the audience. And you would see as you're describing, say, an illness and its symptoms, you could see that they had a physical checklist and they are checking things off. And it's almost as if they're waiting until they get enough points on that checklist to say, okay, now, now it's time for me to reach out and get help. And what I would always wanna encourage people, everyone that's listening to this throughout the construction industry, throughout any industry, I don't need to be at the point of extreme unwell, of clinical diagnosed mental illness to try to improve my mental health. Even if I'm just feeling low or down and sad, there are still things I can do to be or mm -hmm. get better. And those things don't have to be intensive psychotherapy or a dedicated medication regime. And they might be, those might be things a person can do, but really simple lifestyle things can help a person be well. So if I could give any message, it would be, I don't have to wait until things are really bad to reach out and talk to someone for help. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important to get that message across is you don't have to wait until you feel like there's no there's no turning back. It's always good to talk about mental health and and be aware of of our, how we're we're feeling as individuals. I think I think a good comparison here is if you fell or you had an accident and you broke your arm, you go right to the hospital. Say, say you left the broken arm and you're in extreme pain and you went two or three weeks later, the doctor would look at you, he'd probably be angry, right? Like, why'd you wait so long? Right. Uh, and that's something that we, we look at physical issues so quickly and we'll address it. But, you know, the issue with mental health is the, the harder it's going to be to address it, the longer you wait. Um, in terms of workplace mental health, I think for benefit claims, um, it accounts for 30%, but then cost-wise, it, it, sorry, cost-wise, it's about 70%. So again, that's typically due to the fact that people wait. Right. So that's I want to dive a little bit into the construction part of this, because you're bringing up some really interesting points, and it's, it's getting the wheels in my head turning a little bit. So we talked about the stigma, you know, it is a male dominated industry that definitely plays into it. Maybe, you know, you want to be, you know, the tough guy, maybe you don't want to come forward with how you're feeling, whatever it may be, whether it's stress or sadness or whatever else is happening. Um, I want to talk a little bit about 
you know, the site supervisors or your colleagues in the industry? What can those people do? Um, I guess, number one, to help you, but even before that, what, what are they looking for to recognize mental health challenges in their teams and employees? I think this is super interesting too. And I almost want to answer it in like two parts. Like you think about what can they do now? And in, in this world we're living in now, there's sort of that new normal again, isn't there? Where, where we're focusing on returning staff back to a work site, or I've got staff on a site that are already experiencing anxiety with the idea of being, you know, maybe I can't social distance as well, or I'm nervous working around other people. So what can I as a site supervisor do now to provide support to my staff? And you know, right. It's so interesting too, Rebecca. I was actually just doing at a seminar yesterday, and Marian Baden is a pretty prominent figure in the in the mental health and the workplace field. And she made a really sort of statement that was really impactful, at least to me. And she said, you know, what we're seeing with leadership is that leaders that come on site and sort of have that that bravado of, I've got it. I will take care of it. It's all under my control. I'm in charge. I've got it all sorted that that's actually become a really ill-effective way of managing your teams because it's seen as not genuine. It's seen as sort of false and, and, and workers and staff, and I'm sure they can hear it, but they'll see through it. They, they'll say, you know, you don't have some controls. It's an international pandemic. You can't tell me that it's going to be solved. And what they're seeing actually more successfully is when leaders are sitting down with their staff and saying, and being honest, hey, this is what we're facing. This is our environment, and this is what I can do to help you and leaning back on that staff. Tell me what I can do to help you thrive in this environment. And it kind of builds back to the same thing I'm teaching managers when I'm doing workshops and training for leadership pre-pandemic is again, the most effective sort of leaders are creating environments where it's safe to talk about how I'm doing. I used to do training with um, uh, elementary school teachers, high school teachers. And I always say, you know, control how your student's feeling. What you can control is the environment, that this classroom, that in this room, this is a safe place to talk about if I'm not having a good day, if I'm feeling like I'm struggling, if I need to reach out for help. It's the same idea for a workforce. I can't control how my employees are feeling. No one has that capability. Right. What I can do, I can control that in this workspace, on this team, in this group, if you are not having a day or you're struggling or you're feeling low or anxious or depressed, you can come to me and I might not be able to fix it, but it's a safe place to have the conversation and I'll do what I can to help you be and stay well. I think that's, that's really important. And I'm curious to just to dive into that a little deeper, what I, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you say to someone, you know, are you okay? Or something like that, they're probably going to say, oh yeah, or something like that. So what kind of questions do you ask or should you be asking as a leader to, to get effective responses so you know how to help and manage your teams? So I'll, I'll preface this too. Uh, it's actually funny you said that, Rebecca, because the, the National Mental Health Week campaign this year in early May was just what you're describing that so often <laughs> phrase, I'm fine, as sort of a filler for, well, I'm actually not doing well, but it's easier to just say I'm fine. Yeah, totally. And so what do we say? What do we do? And especially in a leadership role, and I think here we want to be really cautious, especially in a supervisory role. The language I use is going to be important. I'm going to be really careful, again, to not diagnose my staff. Uh, I think you're experiencing bipolar disorder. I think you're experiencing depression. That's a problematic statement. Right. 
HR rep listening to me right now, you might have got like <laughs> saying that out loud. And what I will encourage, and I know mental health works encourages, start your conversation based on observation. This is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you're having a hard time um, making it for work here at seven o'clock. I'm noticing that during break, you're not sitting with the rest of the group or during our team activities, you're not as engaged the same way. Tell me why I might be seeing those things. So the, one of the most effective ways for any leader to address a concern, and this goes through it all performance management, is to start a conversation based on observation. And it really lets that staff know, hey, somebody cares. Somebody cares enough to ask me how I'm feeling. Somebody cares enough to notice that I've been struggling around here. Someone cares enough to want to help me with it. Mm -hmm. I think that another um, thing just to make a note of is I would say know your staff. Um, and I say that regarding the baseline. Uh, you know, if, if uh, Jack goes to lunch every day at noon or he goes for a walk in the afternoon or he you know, comes in a little late most days. You know, you, Which I've never done, Stephanie. That's Jack. never happened. <laughs> I saw your face. I had to say Jack. So um, it's important to know that, right? Because if Jack starts arriving an hour late or not taking a break or maybe eating lunch by himself, there may be an issue. So again, I would emphasize know your staff. Yeah, That's I think that point. makes, those are, those are really good points. I think it's important, you know, I'm I'm all about the self-help books and the, all that kind of stuff. And I, I read a lot of that stuff, but it's always about focusing on yourself and, and how to take care of yourself. And there, there isn't a lot of advice out there for leaders and managers. And I think that's really important as a leader to know how to ask the right questions and what to say. So that's really good advice. Kind of going the other way, I just want to pick your brains now and diving in is so in the construction industry or whether you're working on site or you're working in an office, I kind of want to reverse that question now and ask about, there's so much uncertainty and anxiety that's happening around us because of COVID. As you mentioned, you know, social distancing, we all kind of have our own, I'll say like security bubbles, safety bubbles with what we think is, is effective for social distancing. So as an employee, whether you're on a job site or you're in the office, how do you, how do you express if you're feeling anxious or uncomfortable as you start to go back to work or if, as you're put into these new kind of senses of normality? So it's, it's interesting and it's, uh, I think it's kind of a, it can be a simple and almost a complicated answer. So maybe the simplest way to look at it, the, it's the employee's choice to what they want to disclose to their employer, of what they're experiencing. If they have a diagnosed mental illness, that is their choice as to whether or not they would want to disclose that to their employer. Um, think about it in, in the simplest terms though. There's things that that employee can do to be and stay well. The things that we're encouraging all through lifestyle. So sleep, making sure they're getting adequate sleep if they can. Again, I recognize construction has got some real early mornings. So I'm gonna be <laughs> then can I plan ahead to make sure that I'm getting adequate sleep, that I'm eating properly again, having long days, it can be easy to run to the food truck or just see what's coming on site and maybe run right. it until they lunch together. But <laughs> let's actually make sure we're coming together and planning our meals ahead of time, making sure that I'm putting things in my body, being mindful of drugs and alcohol. And I, I mean that in, in the most honest terms. Again, when we use things like even just alcohol, you know, as a means of self-regulation. So, so alcohol is what we would classify as a depressant. It's not a depressant because it makes me sad. It's depressant because of how it impacts my central nervous system. It slows down its operation. 
And what we find is that people that are experiencing generalized anxiety have a higher prevalence to use things like alcohol to calm themselves down. I'll give mm -hmm. you, Rebecca, I'll put you on the spot. I'll give you a, an easy example. I don't want you to share necessarily, but think to yourself. <laughs> have you ever been invited to a party, an event, or a gathering with a partner, friend, or spouse? You didn't know anybody at the event. You said to your partner, friend, or spouse, uh, yeah, I'll go with you. I'm going to have a couple of drinks when I get there, just to feel a bit more relaxed. Right. What's happening in that scenario is I'm utilizing that depressant to help calm down that elevated state. Now, Rebecca, you might be thinking, well, that sounds great. Why don't we just do that? All <laughs> well, what do we know about use and tolerance? The more I use a substance, what often happens to my tolerance? Well, it increases. And what we see is people struggling with that anxiety, using alcohol repeatedly or excessively, at least to cycles or cyclical use. I need more and more and more of the substance to that same desired effect. So I'd be really cognizant, I would cautious employees to be mindful, especially during this pandemic, we are seeing alcohol sales skyrocket. Yeah. Am I using, am I using it as an unhealthy self-regulate? And maybe mm -hmm. the thing, I'll just tack onto this really long answer, is the simplest form, we talk about my rights in a workplace, the employer by law is required to accommodate me up into an undue hardship. So if I can express to my employee that I'm experiencing stress or anxiety or depression, they will work with me to help me thrive in that workplace. And it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna have to work the same amount of hours necessarily that are gonna solve or fix everything. But again, the most effective workplaces work with their employees to help keep them in the job. Right. Disclosing when I'm comfortable, working with my employer to help me stay in my role. Mm -hmm. So I wanna dive into that a little bit deeper. It's it, in prepping for this conversation and having conversations in our office, it was actually kind of new information to me that there are some real national standards um, that have been put into place, I believe, by the Mental Health Commission of Canada. I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about those policies in the workplace and how it maybe applies for those working in construction. So, so yes, yeah, so those were co-authored by the Mental Health Commission of Canada through the CSA. And at this point, so they were written in January 2013. They're a voluntary standard at this point. And I'll tell you, I remember when they first came on the scene, there was this like groundswell that these are going to be mandated by law. That, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case at this point. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, it gives some pretty strong framework and direction for an employer to recognize how they can have an effective sort of workplace. When I go and do work with a company, if I come in and do anything, so I do psych health and safety advising as part of my role, and I'll sit with an employer and I'll have senior leadership in a room and they might say to me something like, well, Jack, like I get it. Like I get the humanistic approach of why I want to support my employees. Like I want their mental health to be well, I, I understand, but why should I do this? Why should I support my employees' mental health? And at the end of the day, Rebecca, it can be as simple as there is a business case for this that quite frankly, mentally healthy employees are effective employees. And think of it as a site supervisor. Again, if my employees are healthy, if they're treated well, if they're treated with respect and fairness, they are going to be more apt to want to come to work to do their job to participate. So the humanistic side, again, there's that sort of human nature. We want our coworkers and our staff to be well. The bottom dollar business case is if I can treat my staff well, my, my company will thrive. Organizations that focus on the mental health of their staff do better than those that don't. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I, sorry, I just wanted to add here um, a really good comparison because it's actually perfect for this podcast. So we have an occupational health and safety standard. I mean, I think I learned about that in high schools. So we all, we all know it. Um, and, you, you know, we, for perhaps for our construction, you guys probably regulate boots, goggles, drills, equipment, clothing, etc. And it's probably enforced quite heavily. Um, but what about psychological health and safety? So I think it's very important to make the comparison because it's essentially the same thing, but it's taking into account uh, kind of your mental well-being. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a brilliant comparison. Again, like Stephanie's bang on. Think of it like this. If you were on a site, Rebecca, and you saw one of your staff not wearing a hard hat, the first thing you would say is you put a helmet, like put, on, put on your hard hat. Again, with the idea being, if you hit your head and were injured, that's gonna again, affect you and your wellness. It's gonna affect the entire workplace. Why aren't we trying to do the same things or why aren't all workplaces trying to do the same things about their employees' mental health? If we saw something in the workplace that was detrimental to our employee mental health, why wouldn't we immediately try to correct that or improve it so that everyone does better? Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I wanna talk a little bit about resources for our listeners. So. I, as I gave away, I am reading the self-help books, I'm meditating in the morning, I'm exercising, I'm trying to drink water, which is kind of turning into bowls of ice cream. What, what can our listeners do, not just if they're looking for help, although I want to get to that as well, but also just in their day-to-day. -day. We're, we're at home, a lot of us are at home. What are some practices that we can implement into our day-to-day -day lives that will help us to take care of our mental health? So I've said this in a lot of different sort of um, media spots and interviews and trainings we've done. The things that we were encouraging pre-pandemic that we know that are good for your mental health, they're still good for your mental health. How we do them is just changing and adapting. And you've actually listed a whole bunch. Exercise. You know, I've said this in so many different platforms. Exercise doesn't have to be intensive weight training or running all every day. You know, get your heart rate elevated three times a week for 30 minutes a session. You'll see clinical improvement in mood. Socialization, using things like our, our FaceTime or Zoom or phone calls to connect with people, having that sense of purpose. Again, sleep and diet, being mindful of what we're putting in our bodies, how we're eating. All of those things are those simple lifestyle, sort of clinically proven methods to take care of your mental health. Mm -hmm. A good thing to note, and we usually go over this, uh, Rebecca, it usually has a diagram, but I just wanted to mention that um, if your mental health is thrown off, uh, it's very difficult to maintain physical and social health. So the all three are very connected, and I know it's kind of, um, you know, everyone says this, get exercise, et cetera, sleep well, but really, if you look at those three um, levels of health, you, you, they are all connected very strongly. Right. Yeah. Like we can prove, like you can see proven, like in science, if your mental health is sort of detrimented, your physical health will be impacted. If I don't take care of my physical health, it's going to impact my mental health. We have a whole person when we talk about health and wellness. It's not sort of segmented areas. Right. Yeah. Everything's connected. That makes sense. So construction workers or operators or business owners or whoever's listening to this podcast if they wanted to reach out to you guys to get some more resources or anything like that, where can they go and, and how should they go about it? Maybe we'll let Stephanie talk about bounce back and then I'll address some of the local services too. 
so Bounce Back is probably one of our top programs right now. Um, it is overseen by Canadian uh, Mental Health Association Ontario. So what Bounce Back is, it's a free guided self-health program and it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy, so CBT. And it actually helps adults and youth uh, over 15 learn skills to manage uh, low mood, uh, mild to moderate depression, anxiety, um, stress or worry. So the program's doing extremely well right now, as you can imagine. And I just wanna point out here that they have ramped up in terms of uh, the people they are training, um, their entire staff. So I, I don't want anyone to think that uh, it's going to be something that isn't available because they are, um, you know, getting additional funding, etc. So what you get is telephone coaching using skill building workbooks. There are about 20 workbooks and I cannot rave enough about these notebooks. Um, they uh, cover various toppings from topics, sorry, from sleep issues, substance abuse, uh, communication with your family. Um, it's a very long list. And I think this is important right now because I think we're on week 11 or 12. And I think people are um, a little bit over the shock. Mm -hmm. So I think people now are like, you know what? Um, I, I've accepted this. It's not surreal. And now I can address my sleeping issues. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of getting to some sort of routine and, and slowing down. So now we can really treat the problem if you're struggling with mental health. Um, they also have online videos and those videos, you don't need a doctor's referral and it comes with a, a, pass, a password that they provide. Um, the regular telephone coaching, sorry, I didn't mention that you do, do need a, um, a, a general practitioner's referral. Um, so right now they've actually changed it. So you could, uh, you can walk into a clinic and just um, ask for it there or you can call the clinic. A lot of doctors are now uh, doing visits uh, over the phone. So if you call the clinic and ask them for the referral, they can make it happen. And the turnover is quite fast. They'll contact you within uh, five business days. Great. Um, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to mention uh, another really, really great point is that it comes in 17 languages. Um, oh, that's wow. A, yeah. So that's extremely important to, uh, you know, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, we have a very diverse population. Um, and it, it includes the workbooks and, um, you know, people might be more comfortable talking in a different language. Uh, I know sometimes it's certain terms are different in certain, uh, languages. So again, that's a super, super important part of the program. Great. How about this, Rebecca? So Stephanie mentioned that that program bounce back, which is free or government funded psychotherapy, which again, you, you just don't see in, in this field. Um, is based on a model of cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll tell you, CBT is proven clinically to be just as effective in treating depression and anxiety as is medication. So CBT has very well-researched and evidence-based. So all this is evidence-based practice, and you're getting high-level support that in a lot of historic years you'd be paying for. That's really good to know. I think it's important to, to have those details when you're, when you're thinking about mental health and how to take care of yourself. And again, for some too, they might be asking, well, if I want to work with somebody or I was looking to get connected to my local community. So depending on where you're listening to this podcast, what I often encourage people to do is go to the CMHA website. So our national website is cmha.ca. And on there, you'll see a button that says, quite simply, find my CMHA. And you just punch in your postal code or your city. It'll bring up the closest CMHA to where you're at. 
and every CMHA has a variety of programs, but they all have one thing in common. They are a not-for-profit. We're a charitable organization, so we don't charge money, and we can provide support to the individual. And I'll, I'll say this maybe as a last sort of wrap, Rebecca. In social services, we have a saying that every door is the right door. So it doesn't matter where you come in, we want to get you to help. If you were to access your local CMHA and in doing so realize that that wasn't the most appropriate fit for you, it then becomes their role to find what would be. And we do that at our organization all the time. If someone comes to our intake and says we're looking for X, Y, and Z, and we realize we're not the best uh, person to deliver that, we're going to help you find who would be. So mm -hmm. I people to reach out to their local branch. I like that. I like that a lot. So this has been really interesting chatting with you both. There's so much in here. I feel like we're going to have to have you <laughs> come back for another right. chat because there's mental health is just such a such an important topic, especially now that our lives are changing so drastically. It's important that we're talking about it openly, especially in this industry and having those conversations. So I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Before we say goodbye, I would love to know if there's any final words or advice that you have for anyone, whether they're working in construction or not on, um, that you just like to leave our listeners with. Um, I'll give one and I'll let Stephanie end this. I think from my perspective, what I want to say is thank you. Uh, thank you to a profession that I don't know if you, when you signed up for construction or signed up for your workforce, that you thought you'd be deemed an essential service and be working through these sort of situations, but you are. And uh, I speaking for my organization, all the CMHA, thank you for, for what you've done, for the support you've given. And again, we as an organization across Ontario, across the country are here to support you. Oh, we appreciate that. Uh, my uh, last word is a, a bit more, you know, touch on, touches on your emotions. I just want to say that um, any leader, manager, senior staff, uh, the more you open up this conversation about workplace mental health, at the end of the day, you might be saving a life. And I, I don't want uh, anyone to forget that. Um, you know, we, we emphasized that before COVID, and you can just imagine how much more um, it's important so much more now, right? So please, please, please keep that top of mind that, you know, this could really save a life. Mm -hmm. No, I think those are important, powerful words. And I, I appreciate everything that you've said. I think our takeaway actually is to thank you because we need support as an industry to, to figure out how to take care of ourselves and, and to learn more about mental health because it really isn't a topic that we're talking about in this industry and having conversations like this is really, really important for us. So thank you both for joining us today. It was really, really great to dive into this and I'm looking forward to having you back so we can keep chatting a little bit more. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Take care of yourselves. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining us today to chat about such an important subject. As the conversation around mental health continues to grow and change, I hope that we can address this crisis and challenge the stigma around it. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to read more on mental health in construction, check out the health and safety category of our blogs on the Dozer Hub at dozer.com blog. Follow us on Instagram at dozerhub for the latest news in the industry and follow our blogs and podcasts through the dirt stories hashtag on social media. Want to be featured on the podcast? Contact us via social media or at dozer.com blog if you or someone you know has a dirt story to share. 
Today's episode was sponsored and produced by Dozer, the world's first e-commerce solution for heavy equipment rentals. Visit dozer.com to learn more.